Hello and welcome to the Mike Halpern Radio Show. I am your host, Mike Halpern. Today I have with me Chris Newby, who is the author of Bitten the Book, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Warfare. Not only is Chris going to be talking about Lyme disease, she's also going to be talking about Bartonella, Babesia, Morgellons, and other chronic health conditions that have mysterious origins. Please give Chris your full attention. Without further ado, Chris Newby. Thank you for inviting me, Michael. My husband and I, we took a much needed vacation. He was in a Silicon Valley startup. We took our two middle school boys. We stayed at my friend's house on Martha's Vineyard, and we took a sailboat trip to these Elizabeth Islands right off Chilmark. Had a wonderful picnic, and then When we got back to California, we both got super, super sick. That sort of started my interest in Lyme disease. For us, it just depends on if you have Lyme disease and what else, what other diseases are in the tick. We had Lyme disease and babesiosis. There was no subtlety to how it hit us. A little over a week after we got back to California, we were sicker than we'd ever been. We could barely get out of bed. For other people, it might be just mild. But what happens a lot of times is you'll get the recommended antibiotics and you haven't killed all the bugs. Your immune system might keep it under control for a while and then something happens to you, a car wreck or another bug, it just body slams you. Lyme disease is a bacterium. It's the shape of a corkscrew. It lives in the mid-gut of a tick. It is transmitted to humans, all sorts of mammals and birds, even lizards by the bite of a tick. A tick that bites you, it wants to get a blood meal so it can reproduce. It feeds for a few days, drops off. There's 20 different diseases it can transmit into you. Willie Bergdorfer, who discovered this bacterium that causes the disease we call Lyme disease in the 70s, he said there were other pathogens when he was investigating the ticks around Lyme. There was another pathogen that he felt like was something that may have been a biological weapon that he had worked with and his colleagues at Rocky Mountain Lab in Hamilton, Montana. The new information that the book presents that nobody knew about it because it was a secret weapons program like the Manhattan Project for Nuclear Weapons is that the guy with the most to lose who became famous at age 56 because he discovered this new disease is saying, I sort of swept this other information under the rug. I basked in the full glory of the Lyme discovery, I didn't mention this other thing. And then the other thing that was disclosed was that he was a scientist in the biological weapons program through the 50s and 60s. He had contracts with Fort Detrick, Maryland, which ran the biological and chemical warfare program during the Cold War. The other thing I discovered in my research in trying to really say, was Willie telling the truth? Because it was such an outrageous claim. It was a claim that I really didn't want to believe that somehow our military would think you could put germs inside of ticks, release them, and not have that blow back. There's a screening process to see what works best for different climates. We were in the Korean War, we were in the Vietnam War, then we were in the Cold War. Willie started when he first came to Montana in 1951 52. He put plague in fleas. He was trying to find a way to do that efficiently. Then he worked on putting yellow fever in mosquitoes. Then he started working on ticks. 
he would put different deadly diseases in them. If you start mixing and matching ticks and disease agents, they're not always going to stick. He would take ticks, press it in a wedge of clay. He would, under a Bunsen burner, make a really fine tip and shove the tip down the tick's mouth. Then he would pour the disease agents in the tick's mouths. And he would take the ticks and we would feed it on guinea pigs or rabbits and see if the disease would transmit to the mammal. He would just send those reports back to Dietrich. They would decide, well, rabies doesn't really stick inside a tick, so let's not weaponize that. Tularemia works really well, which is rabbit fever. They'll do little small pilot studies in Dietrich. That's how that process worked. What under our skin was, it was mostly following patients over four years and showing their process of getting sick, getting misdiagnosed, and then their recovery. What it really showed is that the disease on the ground is very different than what the academic papers say. It made the patients feel, hey, we're not alone. Our experience is not unique. This is what's happening across the U.S. There have been Lyme cases reported in every state now. Their symptoms look really freaky because it's fundamentally a neurological disease. Symptoms sort of move around the neurosystem and look different in almost every patient once the disease becomes chronic. Lyme spirochetes don't like to be in the blood because there's just all sorts of killer cells out there to look for invaders like that. It looks for sites in your body that are protected from the immune system. That might be your tennis elbow or your skier's knee with a lot of scar tissue, especially the brain. The spirochetes, they're like corkscrews. You can drill through any tissue. They get in your brain, these joints, and they don't need much oxygen then they just slowly reproduce and they create inflammation. If you have an infection in your brain, it's connected to other parts of your body and it'll manifest there or it'll manifest in your joints. One of the very common symptoms is twitching muscles that move all around your face. Brain fog is the big one that almost everyone has. It decreases the circulation in your frontal lobe. The problems that we're seeing now, they aren't just caused by Lyme disease. Lyme disease has been around a really long time. They found the organism in an ice man in a cave in Europe, in the Alps. My hypothesis that I back up with evidence in the book is that the U.S. military was doing thousands of open-air experiments with various diseases in ticks, tick-borne diseases that were aerosolized and sprayed around. They did pilot studies in Maryland, Plum Island, Virginia all up and down the bird flyway so that there's this sort of witch's brew of tick-borne infections that got into the environment from these experiments. The really bad diseases that people are experiencing now, I think, are caused by these co-infections. We, meaning the U.S. military in the Cold War, did experiments on weaponizing tularemia, which is rabbit fever, which is all over Nantucket. They worked on weaponizing rickettsia rickettsii. They worked on Venezuelan equine encephalitis, Bartonella. They worked on that. There were these open-air tests in Alaska. There was a pilot study in Cuba that I talk about in the book. Infected ticks were dropped on the Cuban sugar workers. The medical system has seemed to obsess over just Lyme. I say they're wearing Lyme-colored glasses. We need to look at the totality of the possible infections in a person. If 
a short course of antibiotics don't work. Well, maybe it's this cattle parasite called Babesia that requires anti-parasite medicine, not doxycycline. That's why I would say if you have these symptoms and they linger and the Lyme test is negative, maybe you have these co-infections. There have only been seven treatment studies since Lyme was discovered in 82, treatment studies that are blinded, placebo-based. Those studies were only done with Lyme and they were only done with one antibiotic. In my case, California doctors had no idea what the symptoms were of this mixed Lyme babesiosis disease. I just had no idea that this disease was as controversial and that my doctors wouldn't have the best information. There was just this year-long learning curve that I quickly go over in the book. As you know, on the East Coast, I think a lot of people get lost in the system. Once I found the right doctor who said, yeah, this is what you had, they took the right test, yeah, you have these two tick-borne diseases, our gym load at that time was so large, we got really sick from the die-off. Basically, you get sepsis, which is poisoning of your blood from all the die-offs of the bugs. My infection was primarily in the brain. I was bitten at the base of my head. My husband experienced the same thing. He got it at the same time. The chronic form of the disease, there's a lot of denial at the NIH and CDC. I think a lot of the people who published online, the original researchers, were conflicted because they were making money off a vaccine trial in the late 80s. They really didn't want to support the concept that Lyme disease could be persistent, linger, not be cured after antibiotics. Lyme disease guidelines have recommended a two-step antibody test for Lyme disease. The CDC, until recently, just completely rubber-stamped their guidelines. What an antibody test is, is it measures your response to the invading Lyme microbe. It doesn't really measure the presence of it. We're finding that with COVID too. There's the DNA test that tells you if you have the bug in you, and then there's antibody test that tells you if you've been exposed. The problem with the current testing is it's not testing if you have an active infection. Sometimes if you're fighting off multiple tick-borne germs, your antibodies are all tied up and they might not show up on the test. What's more, the current recommended test doesn't work in the first month. You haven't had time to produce enough antibodies to be picked up by the test. Somehow the people that wrote these guidelines said you can't be treated unless you test positive by this two-step process. And the two-step process takes so long. You might have entrenched disease or multiple co-infections. Mainstream medicine is going with what these academic infectious diseases people say is you can't treat with antibiotics until you test positive on these two steps. What the Lyme specialists are finding is this disease or combination of tick-borne diseases that you might get from one bite, it's serious enough that you should be able to treat as a doctor based on symptoms alone. I'll add another thing about this recommended test. The latest data is the first step of the test is no better than a coin flip. You can't get the second test, which is more specific, until you've got a positive on the first. Bottom line, it just misses a lot of people who are truly positive. That would be called a false negative. Those people think they don't have it because of this one not very good test and they go on to become chronically ill. So that's mainstream medicine just follows this recommendation. The Lyme specialists have said, this system is screwed up. The country doctors, 
the frontline clinical doctors who are in Lyme endemic places, and they see a lot of Lyme people. They go to these specialty labs. There are different strains in different parts of the countries. It's a bug that mutates fairly fast since the outbreak happened in the late 60s. They go to these specialty labs. Now, the specialty labs have all the safety checks that Quest and LabCorp have, but they add different antibody markers to their tests. There's more of a chance if you have one of these obscure strains or one of the strains that aren't in New York, Connecticut, or New Jersey, it'll show up. Their tests aren't FDA approved. And it doesn't mean their tests are bad. It just means that they can't market these test kits to LabCorp or Quest. They can't sell them commercially. That's the controversy. A couple labs across the U.S. do a more comprehensive testing protocol. They test two steps at once so you don't waste that month and a half in between. And then they test more strains. I would go to LymeDisease.org. They have a bunch of labs there that I think do a better job than the New York strain that is used in big commercial labs. There's this antibody test that has a mix of antibodies. That's a fluorescent test. So it's an IFA or an ELISA, one of those two tests. That's the first one. It misses a lot of cases. And then the second step is Western blot. And it's very specific for one strain of Lyme disease. Sometimes I talk to Dr. Ray Stricker. Orgellans is this crazy disease. It's a skin disease. Little fibers grow out of their hair and they're itchy. A lot of the medical community write them off as being psychosomatic. This doctor has analyzed DNA, analyzed these fibers. There is Lyme DNA in the fibers. He believes that it is a real disease. It's just very controversial and there needs to be more research about it. I met the Morgellons patients. If we Lyme patients thought we had it bad off, they're even worse. There was a young researcher who was eager to get research funding. He took an Army and Atomic Energy Commission contract to take Lone Star ticks, make them radioactive, and release them in several large areas in Virginia. He would check his grid with all these hundreds of thousands of ticks after every month. A couple of years later, he'd collect them, use a Geiger counter to see which ones were from his original release, then he'd release them back into the grids. Lone Star ticks, before he did these experiments, were only established below the Mason-Dixon line in the South. After he did them, these open-air tick releases were on the Atlantic bird fly zone. These birds can, in five days, carry the ticks up the eastern seaboard, and sure enough, the first established colonies of Lone Star Ticks were found on Montauk, Long Island. First of all, he's radiating these ticks. The radiation lasts for life. What kind of mutations happened in these ticks or the microbes in their bellies? He said they were lab raised and they were clean ticks, but Willie Bergdorfer said there's no such thing as a clean tick. The other thing is these ticks are very effective at carrying Rocky Mountain spotted fever. They're very aggressive, man-biting, swarming ticks. And unlike the deer tick, they have eyes. And so they can stalk their prey. They don't just sit on a blade of grass. One of the main premises of my book is, let's look at all these crazy experiments. Was there a perfect storm of these biological weapons experiments that created a really horrible set of tick-borne diseases that happened around Long Island Sound? 1968, 
these three freaky tick-borne diseases just spontaneously appeared around Connecticut, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Long Island, and New York. We had this crazy Lyme arthritis with swollen joints. We had babesiosis, a cattle parasite. This was the second case in the U.S. of a cattle parasite that showed up in Nantucket in Long Island. And then this crazy Rocky Mountain spotted fever that didn't really test for the standard Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Sometimes they didn't have the spots, but it was deadly and a lot of people died. Plum Island is right off Long Island in Lyme, Connecticut. They were doing anti-animal diseases like foot and mouth disease. Did babesiosis get out of that? Michael Carroll, he was the first to say, hey, maybe the Lyme epidemic was caused by something that got out of Plum Island. I let that stand. I didn't really drill into Plum Island. I was mostly interested in Willie's research because I had full access to his lab books. Willie was working on anti-personnel. Plum Island was working on anti-animal. Trav was a Nazi who worked in Himmler's bioweapons lab during World War II. His lab and he were taken over by the Russians' biological weapons program, and then somehow he escaped. Americans took him in, picked his brain on both the Russian and the German biological weapons program. He helped set up Plum Island. He did work with Dietrich. In the Cold War weapons race, we took the best ideas from the Germans and the Japanese who had another really evil program. We supersized it. The things in our health system that broke for the Lyme outbreak, that, which has now have been going on 50 years, broke royally for COVID. For just looking at some of the photos, the archival photos I've collected and documents, go to my website, chrisnewby.com. There's reviews to the book. I have a Twitter feed and Instagram for Bit in the Book and a Facebook page for Bit in the Book. All those messages get to me. A New York firm is working on a documentary. It'll be like a Netflix-style miniseries. They're working on the rough outline of that right now, and I'm helping them.